Hello, everyone. This is Zoe Dean. Welcome back again to Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast. Before I get started with the show, I would like to thank all of you for your patience in awaiting my return. And I do apologize profusely for keeping you waiting for such a horribly long time. After I posted the episode for Roddy's birthday, I got a job and started attending acting school, and life kind of exploded for me. I found that with working and going to school, I just didn't have time anymore to podcast and do my shows the way I had done previously, which absolutely broke my heart. And from the moment I stepped away from it, I realized that I missed it more than anything in the world. After working and attending school for six months, I became ill and had to leave my job, which also meant that I had to leave school. Though I was devastated to leave school because I truly loved acting, I realized my physical and mental health was much more important for the time being, and I started on the journey towards a complete career change. For the moment, I'm currently working as a voice talent freelancer, which happily gives me lots of time to return to one of the things I love most, podcasting. So my show is back and alive, and exciting things are in view on the horizon for the near future. My personal message to all of you listening is that if there is something you absolutely must do, if you live, breathe, sleep, dream something, and you haven't made it your ambition to chase that something that you love so much and make it your career, don't hesitate. Drop whatever job you're working at now and chase the other career that you love. Be it acting, singing, writing music, dancing, writing books or poems or any other form of literature or even podcasting. Or if you have other ambitions like being a banker or a stock market salesperson or the head of your own company, whatever your dream is, chase it, follow it, be it, create it, achieve it. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do what you want. It just isn't so. You can achieve absolutely anything. And if it's all that you think about, you were meant to do it. Don't be afraid to chase after it. And even if you are afraid, do it scared. Believe me, you will never regret it. Roddy's life is a perfect example of this. Though he was originally thrust into acting as a child by his mother because it was her dream for herself, and she never worked hard enough to achieve it. It became an intense love of his and a passion that he followed for the rest of his life. He pursued his other interests of photography and made a career of that as well, keeping his fingers in many different artistic pies, dancing, voiceover work, singing, filmmaking, and film preservation. Roddy always followed his dreams, and he was one of the most successful people in Hollywood's history, always happy, always enjoying life to the fullest, leaving nothing but love, adoration, and adulation in his wake. May we all live to follow his example. And now, here is episode three of Not Just Yesterday. Every night at seven, you walk in as fresh as clover, and I begin to sigh all over again. Every night at seven, you come by like me returning and me oh my I start in yearning again You seem to bring far away spring near me I'm always in full bloom when you're in the room for every night 
every time the same thing happens I fall once again in love but only with you Columbo Short Fuse Season 1 Episode 6 Original air date January 19th 1972 The episode begins as always by introducing us to the killer in the story Roger Stanford son and heir to a big-time chemical company in Los Angeles. We first see him in a dark room, but instead of developing photographs, he's carefully mixing chemicals and drinking a cigar box and the cigars inside to create a sort of bomb. After almost two minutes of watching him rig the box, he stands back, satisfied with his work, and says, Better than the Borgia. Next, we see Roger at the chemical plant, driving up in an orange and white buggy with the words Stanford Chemical written on the side. He parks outside the main building, grabs a bottle, his camera, and strolls inside, nonchalantly tossing the bottle in the air. When he enters the office, he stalks around, looking at all of the secretaries working. Suddenly, he stops, stands behind one of the secretaries, lifts the bottle, and with a cheeky expression on his face, begins spraying everyone in the office with silly string. What is that, plastic? Yeah. <laughs> you invent it? Oh, no, I wish I had. But, uh, I mean, not that anybody care around this square organization. Mr. Stanford, Mr. Buckner is waiting. Oh, Ooh, bye, <laughs> it is here that we meet Valerie Bishop, played by Anne Francis. Valerie is Roger's current squeeze and secretary to his uncle David, D.L. Buckner. She has just been sent to fetch Roger so that his uncle may talk to him. But she stops Roger just outside of the office, as she is afraid of people finding out about the affair between her and Roger. She asks him why he was in his dark room, and it is insinuated that during a sexual fling, Roger took some photographs of her. She is nervous about them being discovered, and exclaims at one point, You didn't develop those pictures. Smiling gleefully, Roger diverts her attention from the pictures by talking about his can of silly string for a moment, and then, after noticing them lying on the floor, goes over to investigate a pile of suitcases, asking what they're doing there, as his uncle wasn't supposed to be going up to their summer home in Pinewild until the following morning. Valerie tries to get him to go into his uncle as he is very upset about something, but he diverts her once again, mentioning that his uncle's box of cigars that is usually left with him when he goes away is missing. Miss Bishop runs to the closet and retrieves the box of cigars. Meanwhile, Roger picks up his uncle's pocket cigar case and places it in the back waistband of his jeans, just in time before Miss Bishop returns. He then goes in to see his uncle. I must take a moment here to mention that Roger's uncle in this episode is portrayed by popular character actor James Gregory, who later became a member of the Planet of the Apes franchise, along with Roddy. However, he was in the second film while Roddy was in Scotland, filming the Battle of Tam Lin, and the two never actually worked together in the Apes franchise. All right, then. 
What do you think? In the office, Roger is gleefully taking pictures of his uncle at his desk as he smokes a cigar and talks crossly. Annoyed, David tells Roger to... Put that silly camera down. <laughs> ...and give his opinion on a statement that was given a few moments before. Oh, I tell you, Quincy, when I was 17 years old, I told my aunt not to marry him. Oh, D.L., your syntax is terrible. Listen to this. I, Roger Stanford II. Roger, I have a management meeting I'd like to wind up. Who is going to believe this anyway? I mean, a statement from me approving the sale of a company that my own father started. I mean, he'd roll over in his grave. No, no, he didn't read down the bottom there, the last paragraph. They'll believe it all right if you tell them that you've lost your interest in chemicals, you don't care about working here anymore, and you're, uh, you're going to Europe. Oh. I've got to calm my people down around here, Roger. I've got to get rid of this rumor, this silly fear that the sale of the company is going to endanger their jobs. It's not. It's not going to change anything around here. Except at the top. Because besides being president of Stanford Chemical, you would also be the big man in the conglomerate. Now, wouldn't you? No, no. It, it isn't just me, Roger. Yeah, and what about your vice president? I mean, how long is Logan going to last when they find out how he opposed you? He thinks the sale of this company is criminal. Me, I, I don't matter. I didn't inherit enough stock, but Aunt Dory did. And I tell you, you haven't persuaded her yet. She'll go along just as soon as you do. If she hadn't bent over backwards to spoil you and pamper you when she took you in as a kid. <laughs> oh, Quincy, isn't he amusing? Until you married my aunt, but he couldn't marry a stock. What's the matter? Why can't you get her to give you control? It is here that we learn that David's chauffeur, Quincy, is in fact also a private detective who has been collecting very damaging information about Roger's past and present. David discloses to Roger that if he doesn't resign from the plant and allow him to take over full control, that he will show the documents to his Aunt Doris, who actually owns the company, and is planning on using the evidence to have him forcibly removed by her. Seeming to be unfazed by this, Roger begins joking around and poking fun at Quincy's detective work, as the chauffeur and his uncle simultaneously look on with vague expressions of surprise and, in Quincy's case, semi-amusement. <laughs> oh, Quincy, I tell you, you are superb. You really are, you know. You, you are the best combination chauffeur and private detective in the business. Yeah, but what is the matter? Now tell me, why can't he get uh, something for you on Logan and get rid of all your opposition? Tell me now, Quincy, what is it? What's wrong? You're wiretapping. That's a, is, it's not working? Why can't you frame a harmless old bachelor? The clock has now begun counting down on Roger, as he only has a few hours left before he has to reveal to his aunt the letter of resignation or risk being blackmailed by his uncle. It is here that we realize his motive for the upcoming murder. On his way out of the plant, Roger gets David's personal mechanic to take a look under the hood of his sports car while he replaces the safe box of cigars Valerie placed with David's bags with the rigged explosives he had made several hours earlier. He also takes care to remove the extra cigars from the glove box of the limousine. Having succeeded in the switch, he moves away from the limo and back over to his own car just in time, as David and Quincy come out and prepare to leave. As they pull away, Quincy looking daggers at him, a satisfied Roger lights up one of the stolen cigars from his uncle's glove box and puffs it with satisfaction. The next scene shows the next few hours of the night. Valerie and Roger go to a nightclub, the Narcisse. 
where they sit at a table talking and flirting as they watch girls draped in gold sequin flapper dresses dance what looks like a slow version of the Frug in cages. These scenes are intercut with shots of David and Quincy in the limo, searching for the cigars, opening the box, and a few moments later, the bomb going off and blowing the car and its passengers within to smithereens. The murder is successful, and Roger's alibi is now secure. For the moment. A few hours later, Roger returns home to find the lights on in his aunt's house across the way, and a dingy gray 1959 Peugeot in the driveway. Thinking nothing of it, he goes up to Quincy's apartment, effortlessly picks the lock on the door, and walks in. We hear him typing on a typewriter for a moment, removing a page, and leaving a second later with the typewriter in its case. He places it in the backseat of his car, closes up the garage, then goes back up to the apartment and shuts off the lights. He is then startled by a scruffy little man in a dingy, wrinkled raincoat. Lieutenant Columbo. Oh, sir? Uh, who are you? Uh, is, it, is that you? Your aunt said it sounded like your car down here in the drive. I mean, you're Mr. Sanford, aren't you? Well, obviously. And who might you be? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Columbo. Lieutenant Columbo. I'm from the police. The police? You mean that old heap out there is yours? Oh, yeah. Needs a coat of paint, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, uh, Mrs. Buckner, she asked me to get you quick. There are no servants up there in the house. Uh, she was afraid you were going to go straight on to your place or something. Why? What's wrong? Well, nothing that we know about so far. But she's very upset, so I suggest that uh, you close your door hmm? and come right away. But my... Oh! Oh, no, I don't live here. I live in a guest cottage out back. That's what she meant. This is where the chauffeur lives. See, uh, I went was on my way home tonight. I thought I saw his door open. You did? Yeah. The chauffeur? Yes. You mean Mr. Quincy, the fellow who was driving Mr. Buckner tonight? Yes. Well, I better look in here. Huh? Couldn't you find the light? Well, of course I did. I mean, that's how I found out nobody was home. Oh. Well, everything seems to be in order. Maybe somebody's been tampering with this lock. Lieutenant, uh, just what are you doing here now? What has happened? Uh, Mr. Buckner... He sort of disappeared. Back at the house, we discover that during the last few weeks, there's been, as Roger puts it, an excess of corporate bad feeling over David's plans to sell the company. According to Roger's Aunt Doris, played by Ada Lupino, many people have been threatening David via anonymous phone calls and throwing stench bombs on the lawn of the house. She admits that she was still undecided about the sale of the company when he left to go up to Pinewild. Hours later, after not receiving word of his arrival from the caretaker, she panicked and called the police, and it was then discovered that he was missing. Thus, the commissioner of the Los Angeles County Police Department called in Lieutenant Columbo. It's here that we learn that David had called the house and left a message for her several hours before. In the recording, he tells his wife that Roger will be coming to the house later in the evening to tell her something important that he had decided, and he wished for her to return the call. Prior to this message, however, we hear Quincy and David talking over the fact that his cigars in the glove box of the car are missing, and he has handed the rigged box that Roger had set up earlier that afternoon. Here, we see Roger begin to sweat, checking his wristwatch and getting antsy, as now that the box is open, the time is counting down, and he's afraid that the explosion is going to happen on the voice recording. Just at the moment the explosion would have happened, the voice message ends, and Columbo knocks over Roger's drink scaring the pants off him. 
Frustrated, he cleans up the mess and practically forces Columbo out of the house, urging him to find his uncle. I certainly hope you're right, Lieutenant. My uncle is a very important man. Oh, I'm aware of that, sir. Listen, by the way, uh, what about your parents, Mr. Sanford? Are they both alive? Oh, no, they died when I was in college. It was a freak explosion at the plant. Aunt Dory became my guardian, and then she married David. Mm. Were there any other children? No. Aunt Dory is your father's sister? Uh, yes. And on your father's side, were there other aunts and uncles? Um, tell me, Lieutenant, why are you so fascinated with my uh, family history? Oh, no, it's just that uh, I try to get things straightened out in my mind. Well, in case you're wondering, if anything does happen to David, his money goes to her, not me. Oh, I wasn't thinking about that at all. Oh, no. Listen, by the way, I didn't want to mention this to your aunt inside, but... Uh, is it possible that Mr. Buckner might have wanted to stop someplace without telling anybody? You know, visit somebody in private? I don't think that's any of your business, Lieutenant. It certainly is none of mine. Oh, 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 yeah. Sorry. Good night. Good night. Is your watch broken? Hmm? Your watch? watch broken no why oh it's nothing important it's just that inside i noticed you kept looking at it well you know lieutenant um people do look at their watches yes they certainly do sorry good night good night raj what did you want to talk to me about tonight what did David mean? Oh, that was nothing. Nothing at all. See, I had this idea I might like to work in the legal department for a while. David said it was fine. I start there Monday. <laughs> oh, life would be so simple if you two could just get along. <laughs> We're going to. <laughs> Where is he, Roger? He'd only listen to me. He'd only taken the tram. He's going to be fine. Just fine, sweetheart. The next day, we see Columbo at the Palm Springs tramway, going up to the area where the crash and the explosion took place. Inside the tram, he's obviously nervous and suffering from severe vertigo. This seems to be played for laughs, however, as he doesn't have a problem again later in the episode. Upon arriving at the scene of the accident, we are shown rescue crews bringing up bodies from the gorge below in pieces. We learn that some pieces of the car were intact, burned, and the bodies were definitely charred. But the cause of the explosion is still unknown at present. Later that afternoon, we see Doris and Everett Logan, played by William Wyndham, in the living room, which is now strewn with flowers. Both are wearing black, and it is inferred that they are just back from a memorial service for David. Here, they discuss the case together, Doris saying she always felt that perhaps Roger would be in charge of the company one day. Concernedly, Doris asks Everett if he feels that David were murdered. He says no. We find out that Logan is, in fact, now next in line for the ownership of the company, and he promises Doris that if she needs his help, to let him know. A few hours later, Columbo is sneaking around in Roger's darkroom and inadvertently stumbles on the bottle of silly string, falling victim to the concoction by shooting himself in the face with it. Roger had come into his office just a moment before and discovered the door of his darkroom open. Looking inside, he discovers the lieutenant and finds him covered in pink string. 
Laughing hysterically, he takes a picture of the lieutenant and goes over to his desk, still giggling with glee at the hilarious spectacle. Roger begins pulling the string out of Columbo's hair and asks whether or not someone had killed his uncle. Columbo says that they don't know for sure yet. Then we learn from Roger, as he keeps pulling string out of the detective's hair, that he also does inventions in the darkroom and that Columbo was very lucky not to have knocked over some dangerous chemicals. The observant lieutenant then notices the National Science Fraternity Medal around his neck, and Roger admits that he was an honor student in chemistry and law, and also has an MBA in something. Basically, Roger is a genius. The conversation then turns to chemical reactions, and Roger realizes that Columbo believes there was in fact a bomb in the car. They go back up to the plant to find out who else has cigars like the ones found in the limousine, which leads them back to Everett Logan, who, upon further scrutiny of his cabinet, discovers that one of his boxes is missing. This backs up Columbo's theory that perhaps the cigar box used to blow up the car was stolen. After Columbo leaves the plant, Valerie stops Roger from leaving in a panic. She is afraid that Columbo will learn about the relationship. She is also concerned that the pictures Roger took of her will now be found. He assures her that he got rid of everything, and it's all going to be over soon, and drives away before she can say anything more. Next, we see Roger going into what looks like Quincy's home, with the typewriter he had stolen from the flat over the garage the night of the murder. He places it strategically on a desk, and shuffles things around in a drawer. He then sits there for a few hours, and when the police come into the neighborhood, he deliberately attracts their attention by smashing a lamp and runs out of the house. We see that he has some papers in his pocket. He begins driving away, but is blocked by the police cars trying to stop him. He then takes off and runs from them, but he is soon caught and taken back to his aunt's home. Doris questions him angrily, asking him why he was even there in the first place, and he refuses to answer in front of the police. When Columbo arrives, Roger tries to attract his attention, asking to speak to him, but he's busy talking to the policeman who brought Roger in. They have discovered dossiers, supposedly written by Quincy, with very damaging information about David Buckner. It's insinuated, though we never see anything, that some of the papers found on Roger include pornographic pictures of Valerie Bishop and David Buckner together in a tryst. When Doris sees the pictures, Roger claims he went to the house to gather the pictures in order to protect her from knowing about the relationship. Outraged at the discovery of the photographs, Doris kicks the police out of her home. But Columbo stays behind for just a few minutes, long enough to hear Roger apologizing to Doris. I'm truly sorry. Oh, Raj, I like that woman very much. All the time, she and David... I never wanted you to know about this, ever. I, I mean, I've known for a couple of years about them, but... Well, it's only recently that I realized that Quincy was beginning to snoop around. You knew? Oh, yes. I went to David. I asked him to stop. He refused. No wonder he turned against you. No wonder he kept demeaning you in front of me. Oh, Raj, dear, I've been... I've been such a fool. I've misunderstood everything, so... The next day, Roger drives up to the plant in David's limousine, driven by Benson, one of David's other chauffeurs. He goes into the office to find Miss Bishop looking very upset. 
She shows him a pink slip and tells him that she's been trying to call him and Doris all day, but she couldn't get either one of them on the phone. Roger claims that she has not been fired, but is in fact being relocated to Arizona because his aunt felt that she would be happier there with her mother. When Valerie protests, saying she could never afford that, Roger promises that he will take care of everything and that they will see each other a lot, and then goes into David's old office. He's taking over it. He moves in and makes himself comfortable and surveys his surroundings with pride. Suddenly, Miss Bishop buzzes him and announces that Mr. Logan and Lieutenant Columbo are outside waiting to see him. He tells her to send them in. It is here that we learn that Mr. Logan has also been fired and is very confused as to why it has happened, due to the fact that Doris had always trusted him and that they had a very close relationship. Columbo then announces that something important has been found at the site of the accident and that Logan and Roger are wanted to come along to see what was found. He refuses to join them at first, claiming he's simply too busy, but then his curiosity gets the better of him. They all three drive up to the entranceway of the tram and meet the sergeant in charge of the recovery operation, who gives Columbo a bag, and they get onto the tram. Once inside, Columbo opens the bag to reveal a beat-up cigar box. The walls are now closing in on Roger. Columbo, here, unveils everything to Mr. Logan that Roger had set up to incriminate Logan as the murderer, all the time beating hard and vigorously on the cigar box in an attempt to make Roger more nervous. Columbo then claims up and down to Roger that he had so many theories worked out as to how he could have killed his uncle, but that the cigar box he now held in his hands was proof that Roger was absolutely innocent. This is just subterfuge, however as all of these things are just devices that Columbo is using to prove the exact opposite, and they're working. The lieutenant then opens the cigar box, offering one to Everett Logan, and Roger's internal clock starts ticking. He starts pacing back and forth in the tram and getting more and more nervous and irritable. You know something, Roger? The truth is hard to find. Sometimes. Well, sometimes it's right in front of you and you can't prove it. What? Do you know, I had a whole theory worked out how you could have fixed this box here. But I mean a, a high IQ thing. So that the explosive might not be discovered. It might get burned up with the gasoline. Oh, yes. I had a theory worked out how you could have done all sorts of things. Now, now turns out to be just an ordinary cigar box. <laughs> Now that, uh, don't you think you should take it to a laboratory and uh, have it examined? I mean, now you've got all these fancy theories. What on earth for? The theories are all wrong. And that would only prove it. <laughs> oh, no, that would make me look foolish. Uh, Mr. Mother, would you care for a cigar? No, thank you. No? And you know, and the funny thing is this, Roger. This whole thing could have been a plan of yours. Huh? Like those reports of Mr. Quincy's. You could have forged those on his typewriter. The photograph between Miss Bishop and your uncle? Uh, Any good photographer could trick that up. You know, you just do some double printing. Oh, yeah. And replace one figure with somebody else's. <laughs> and even Mr. Quincy's new bank account. That could have been opened by anybody. Even you. Yes, and Mr. Morgan's cigar's being stolen. You see, now there you go. You're looking at your watch again. Would you do me a favor? Would you please keep quiet? Why? It's only a dumb theory of mine. I mean, it only goes to prove how wrong I could be. You see what I figured? I figured there was two people between you and the presidency. Mr. Logan here and your uncle. And now there's just you. 
course, you had to fire Miss Bishop. I mean, an executive secretary, she probably knows too much. Everett, are you just going to sit here and let him just mumble on? Why not, Roger? It's all very interesting. You, you are more of a fool than he is. The trouble is, even if I was right, will you just shut up? Completely, and the fact of his having murdered his uncle is revealed as he sits in the center of the tram, simultaneously laughing and sobbing in crazed resignation, and the end credits roll. Sadly, there was absolutely no research available for me to give you any in-depth insights into what happened behind the scenes on this episode, so this summary is all I have for this show. However, before I leave you, I do have a quote from Roddy, which I found on xmoppet.org, about his character Roger Stanford, and it is as follows. He, Roger Stanford, was evil as all get-out. He was joyously evil. It was appetizing to play. The role could only work if it was done on a high level of enjoyment, and I loved working with Ida Lupino and Jimmy Gregory. Villains are always great fun to play, and these were very juicy roles. And remember, the villain got to be on camera and carrying on for 20 minutes before Columbo even showed up. Columbo was like Alfred Hitchcock Presents. It was very rewarding. Well said, Roddy. Well, my friends, that is all for this episode of Not Just Yesterday. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join me next time for my discussion of The Legend of Hell House. And in the meantime, dear friends, remember to keep smiling. You seem to bring faraway spring near me. I'm always in full bloom when you're in the room for every night at seven. You make it every day.
every time the same thing happens I fall once again in love but only with you every night about seven Thank you for joining us for this episode of Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast. The podcast is hosted, written, edited, and produced by Zoe Dean. The co-writer and constant help with this podcast is Julie Carricker. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Barron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. The films and television shows discussed and heard in these podcasts remain the property of their respective owners. Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast is not affiliated with any major film or television company, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. This has been a Barren Space production.